This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and good morning. We're here with the Master Gardener Hour for you, and my guest today is Amy Whitney, and Amy is a horticultural assistant at the Cobb County Extension Office, and she, I've never seen her garden, but I know I would just go crazy to see it. I'm going to like just show up one day on the weekend and come and see it, but she has had a thriving vegetable garden in Georgia since she's been here for 20 years, over 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, and she has such good advice and gives great advice to all the thousands of people that call into the Cobb Extension office and, you know, have all their vegetable problems. They sick Amy on these people. So she also has a garden blog, which I thought was kind of, is kind of interesting that she started in 2008. Tell us a little bit about your blog. Well, you know, I started writing, um, about my garden when I realized at the time, 2008, there really weren't that many resources for gardeners in the South, and especially the Southeast. Um, there's a, a quite a bit for Texas um, and for California. There's a lot for the Pacific Northwest. There's a bunch of stuff up in the in the Northeast, but the Southeast was kind of a, a black hole. There was, um, you know, Don Hastings had written um, all his gardening in the South series. Oh, he's dear. And, and he was dear. yeah, and uh, Walter Reeves and Felder Rushing had written a couple of of books, but um, that was that was it. And um, and and they didn't really address the issues of people who were going toward organic gardening at at all. Um, and so that was missing. And they didn't really address heirloom vegetables at all. Um, except um, Don Hastings had a, a great story about his family's sweet corn, his Hastings sweet corn mm. that he and his family had, you know, developed and, and grown and, and maybe not very heirloom, but we've kind of talked Did about that. Did he start as a, a farmer grower or I knew he his, was his, in the plants, but he was, had his, his a family. wonderful nursery in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah, his family had been plant people for apparently generations okay but but you know when silver queen came out his family switched to silver queen because they thought it was better corn but all his neighbors were still growing the hastings sweet because they were being loyal to the hastings family oh you're kidding <laughs> so so he sweet. ditched yeah. his own brand <laughs> yeah yeah i love it I so know. how do we, are you still maintaining your blog oh yeah so yeah. how can uh, anyone can go go so, read it well yeah. tell us tell us how you get there um the the web address for my blog is atlantaveggies.blogspot.com. And so Atlanta Veggies has two Gs in it, just in case you're curious. Um, and and when you get there, you know, I can't remember what's up right now. I think it probably says peas and potatoes and lettuce and more because that's what I've been planting in my yard. You know, that's because of it's we're recording in March, um, middle of March, and that's, right. and that's what's going out. Peas, potatoes. And lettuce. And lettuce. Yeah. That's great. And the and more, it would be spinach and beets. Okay. Oh, uh, spinach and beets. <laughs> yeah. 
spinach and beets. So those are cool weather crops that I give some space to. Potatoes actually will be in the garden until sometime in June um, because they, they take a while. When did you put these guys in? Last weekend. So they'll be coming out. They'll be March, April, May. And for, yeah, for for June it will for for the potatoes it'll be June for lettuce and spinach and beets it'll be probably May, and peas it will be May. Wow! And so it's it's really difficult. What a beautiful group of plants right there! My goodness. Yeah, but you have to be careful not to plant too many, or else you won't have room in your garden for all the summer stuff that you want to plant in April. Okay, so you just keep this on a small scale. Oh yeah, there's like twenty beets. I mean, it's tiny. But okay, still. do you grow a couple of different varieties of beets or just one kind? Um, this year I'm growing uh, Ruby Queen, but normally I grow Detroit Dark Red. I just got a different variety. You know, okay. I have grown Red Ace before, and that was good. She knows every name of every vegetable. I mean, it's just amazing to me that you can remember all these different, and I'm sure you know the difference in the taste too, don't you? Yeah, yeah, usually. Um, and the quality of canning and preserving and which one's better for what. Well, You could really get into a lot of detail about this. Well, well, so that's what we're going to try to do with this session. We finished our newbie, how to do it. So now for you people that have been gardening, you can. we're going to pick Amy's brain for what's really good and how to combine things. I'm kind of aesthetic. Can we talk a little bit about how this kind of looks together? Do you ever take that into consideration when you're gardening? Um, I I do some. I'm not a very visual person, you know. When it, so, I probably don't see things the way other people do. Um, you know, when they do those tests when you're little about how what kind of a learner you are. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm one of those crazy bouncing off the wall kids who's a kinesthetic learner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so visual is, is like last for me, but I, I always try to plant flowers, you know, up, up where people are going to see them. And, and people tell me it looks nice, and so I must, I must do an okay job. I'm sure you do an okay job. Okay, I love the, you know, what kind of peas do you grow? Um, I have been growing uh, the, the dwarf kind that only get a couple, like two and a half feet tall. And the, so this year, the variety... When you say peas, are they like... English peas. English peas. That's what I love. That's one of my all-time favorite veggies. Yeah. Every now and then, I think I should grow sugar snaps because they're so so productive because you can eat the, the pods. Right, right. So you get more food, but then I really don't like them as well. Yeah. The English peas, to me, are like just yeah. heaven. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I'm growing this year is Wando. And, and I grow those a lot. Um, Alaska is also kind of a small one. And Little Marvel is another good variety for here. Um, Wando, I think, hold better in the garden in May as, as it starts to heat up. And so that's kind of um, coming back to Wando, if that makes sense. So what's, what's the temperature that heats up that takes this garden out of existence? Well, it's going to depend. So the... The potatoes will be fine no matter what happens, so I don't worry about them. Um, the peas, um, if it gets into the like 85-ish for very many days in a row, they're going to start to get icky. Um, and spinach will bolt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you grow something like, you know, Bloomsdale Long Standing that's supposed to be slow to bolt, although they all bolt in the heat. Um, and lettuces, it depends a lot on the variety that you've chosen, how soon it turns bitter and is no longer wonderful to eat in a salad. And so if you grow one that's really for cool weather that says, you know, oh, it holds up great in the cold weather, then it's probably not going to be so great in the summer. Um and one I, I tend to grow in the summer is called slow bolt. Surprise, because it doesn't bolt to bolt. You're talking lettuce or spinach? Yeah, lettuce. And so, and so by, by bolting, we mean sending up a flowering stem. And when that happens, usually the quality of the eating leaves is, like, way shot to pieces. So there's a variety of lettuce called slow bolt? Yeah. Never it's, heard of that. It's older. It was developed at a university, you know, ag place, you know, back in the, I don't know, middle of last century. Okay. Um, and so it's 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 not heirloom, but um, it's called slow bolt. It's not the most wonderful lettuce on the planet, but in June, if you're still getting some out of your garden, it's it's seems it's pretty. Good. It seems pretty Fresh wonderful. Is good yeah. In June. yeah, it seems pretty wonderful then. Yeah, that's um, good. It's not like um, marvel of four seasons. You would think would hold up in the summer, but it doesn't hold up as well as slow bolt. Okay. And the oak leaf lettuces hold up pretty well in the heat. Um, compared to some, but the oak leaf for the big leaves would that look like oak leaves? Well, they're not they're not that big. They're usually pretty narrow. They're, oh, narrow, but they're uh, but the, but they yeah, have the, they're lobed. They're round. The round lobes. Yeah, okay. they're lobed. Okay. And then there's one from Israel that's supposed to do well. It's a, a romaine type. It's called Jericho. Um, but I always have trouble with romaine lettuces. I don't know why they don't do well in my yard. So I have a let's talk about grow. I I, I, I Lettuce, you grow it. I mean, nothing's better to me than going out, picking the lettuce, and taking it in and making a salad with it. Right. What do you do with the rest of it? I mean, how do you manage and plan well, what's to re- have lettuce? Well, you can't plan to have lettuce. You plan to enjoy lettuce in its season. And so, and so then, and the seasons are, are cool weather. So the spring and the fall, hopefully when in the fall, it will go, you know, pretty far into December before it freezes, before it, before it freezes out, you know, and if you are, want to rig up all kind of hoop house things over your lettuce to keep it through the winter, you can probably do that. But, um, I didn't, I just, no. it froze, I said goodbye. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I believe in the seasonality of the garden, you know, and I'm not eating, you know, my food on my table doesn't depend on having having that all work year round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and, a good point. Yeah, very good point. And so it makes a difference. You know what I'm willing to do. Um, but there's other things that need to be in the garden too. So you have to. Some things have to come out so the next thing can can go in. Right, right, right. Um, do you you don't do you have any protection for stuff for the winter or a greenhouse or hoops or do you utilize any of that? Um, I don't have protection for the weather. Um, sometimes I cover things for um, wildlife. Okay. Oh, that's a whole another. That's yeah. a whole another deal. We'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, or just cringe. Yeah, just cringe. <laughs> just cringe. Is your garden fenced in? No. Wow. No, it's not fenced. And, and I know where Amy lives, and there's a lot of creatures out in that neck of the woods. There's Yeah, West Cobb is, is got some wildlife. Right. That's so, 
So what do you let, let's let's just bite the bullet and deviate for a second and talk about wildlife and what she does and how you maintain it. She has a beautiful scarecrow <laughs> with long red hair, right? Yeah. No, no, that's somebody else. Oh, okay. I'm uh, no, yeah, I don't have a scarecrow. That would be that would be great. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I have dogs, but they don't go in the front yard, so that would be lovely if my garden was in the backyard and the coonhound could chase everything away, because she would. Um, so I have trouble with crows. I don't know why. But I have found, because I have a small garden, you know, if I if I cover the seeds until they get to a certain size with um, with a row cover, that can protect them from with the crows. With a row cover? There's this spun polyester row cover that you can get. But failing that, you can also... For crows, um, if you sink a, a open like a yogurt container that you've taken the bottom out and just push it around each seedling, um, the crows don't like to stick their heads in those little plastic collars, and so that will actually keep the crows off of like your cucumber seeds. Do scarecrows work? I have no idea. I don't think so. They, you know, I mean, they're great for Halloween and Thanksgiving decorations, but. I've often wondered if they you know, really work. I have one of those big plastic owls, and it doesn't work, so I can't imagine that it's any less, you know. I hope my next-door neighbor scary. hears this show, which she won't, but her <laughs> yard is filled with those big plastic owls, and they are such an eyesore to me as far yeah. as, you know, in suburbia. Yeah, but, um, but the neighborhood kids love them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Amy, let's take a little bitty break. I do want to I want to kind of go through the wildlife list when we come back from this break. We'll be right back with the Master Gardener Hour. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At bonnieplants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is Dr. Elena George with your health tip of the day. Did you know that algae season in Georgia is year-round? Beginning in July through November, ragweed is the predominant pollen. But February through May, tree pollen causes allergy symptoms. Grass pollen occurs from mid-May through the beginning of July. If you suffer from daily nasal congestion, sneezing, runny nose, headache, ear clogging, or popping, or a chronic cough, these symptoms may be due to allergy and not infection. You should also think of allergies if there is no fever, chills, or colored mucus. Treatment should include nasal salt water sprays over the counter or antihistamines that do not cause drowsiness. If you have persistent headaches, a decrease in your sense of smell, or nosebleeds, you should see an ear, nose, and throat physician. Please join me on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for Medicine on Call. This is Dr. Elena George. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? 
All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is americaswebradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with Amy Whitney, and we are talking about the um, seasoned vegetable um, show. Last week, we talked on everything for newbies. Now, we're talking about the nitty-gritty for people that know what they're doing and want to really take it to the next level. But we're talking about wildlife now, and we're on, during the break, we're talking about crows and if scarecrows worked and all this kind of stuff. Um I like Amy's tip on like a yogurt cup around your seedling because the crow won't stick his little beak into the cup and, you know, eat your small, um, you know, lettuces and whatever. What else, what other tips and, you know, I know we have tons of deer all over this country. What, do the deer come into your garden? Uh, I don't normally have trouble with deer, but sometimes... Um, they can be a problem. I know they love sweet potatoes, and this last year I had, um, they like the leaves. And so this last year, for the first time, a deer walked through my sweet potato patch and grazed off the leaves. And that was that was something that was a problem <laughs> because, because the chipmunks also dug underground and ate the sweet potatoes out from under the leaves. And so my sweet potato patch was hit pretty hard. Um, and I didn't realize the chipmunks were doing that much damage until it was too late. Now, do you ever put traps for chipmunks and try to relocate them or anything like that? Well, you know, the chipmunks are eternal as far as I can tell. Yeah, they're prolific. Uh, yeah, I mean, they just yeah. go, 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 yeah. go, yeah, go. Yeah. They're worse than rabbits. And my neighbors have cats they leave outside that hang out in my yard, so I'm not sure why I have such a ch- chipmunk problem because I would have thought cats would do it for me. But um, as we, we have... Like I said, got a lot of crows in the last couple of years, and we used to have more hawks, and I think that helped. But the crows have kind of moved in, and I think they've they've chased off some of my hawks. Crows don't go for chipmunks like a hawk. Will. No, no, no. That's okay. right, and that's the problem. Yeah. But but they do mob hawks and chase them off and take over the territory. So um, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Have you ever seen them chasing hawks? No, yeah, they, they they get they get in a little mob and they chase them around. It's got to be annoying if you're a hawk. Yeah, I mean the yeah. whole the whole. Yeah. Okay. Do you do you use? Uh, I have I live by um, a national park in Atlanta. It's not a national park. It's a national river park. Um, and I have deer in my yard all the time. Yeah. And I live in you know suburban uh, um, Atlanta. But the main road that I live on, on one side of it, is this national park that goes, you know, miles back to the Chattahoochee River corridor. So we have tons of deer in our yard. Yeah. And I finally, I somebody told me about a repellent. Yes. That I sprayed, and oh my goodness, it must work for rabbits and deer. Was it plant skid? I think so, and yeah. it smells terrible. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, you can't. I can't even keep it with the rest inside my 
you know, I have to hide it out in my yard because I can't have it near my house to, because it smells up the garage where I keep, you know, my, all my gardening things. Yeah. But, um, and, and that's probably what I'm going to have to use this year. Uh, my friend Electa, you, you know Electa. Yeah, sure. Um, she, she lives in an area with, in, in a much worse area for deer than I do because um, she's closer to the Battlefield Park um, mm-hmm. for Kennesaw Mountain, and, and they are, they're just everywhere. So, And she keeps her garden safe using plant skid. Yeah, it works. I mean, I, yeah. just, I just sprayed it around. The um, outside of the beds. The outside of the beds. I mean, because they would come up. And it, like in the front, I mean, they don't. The, my backyard is fenced, so they haven't gotten in there nervy enough to bolt into the backyard over the fence. But all you know, in the front, uh, they walk up the driveway. You know, they yeah. do. You know, all this nonsense. So I think it it really works. And I've also, I haven't been able to grow. It's not a veggie, but it, same. I haven't been able to grow a pansy. Yeah. Because in years. Because they love them. Because they love them. And they disappear down to the ground. And then that the whole plant gets pulled out. Yeah. And you got so, that. and this year, I actually, since I've started using this product, I have, you know, they're leaving me alone. Thank goodness. But so deer, chipmunks, rabbits. What else? What other big creatures? Um, I don't know about big, but I do know people who have trouble with birds picking holes in their tomatoes. And, wow. And you're looking puzzled like you've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. I really have never noticed. I've never seen that. Or maybe I thought it was some creature boring out of my tomato that caused the hole. Yeah, maybe. Um, and especially like mockingbirds will do that. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know why mm-hmm. they're so bad, but um, but there are birds that will will peck right into your fruit, and um, you know usually the solution is is one that people don't like, and it's it's harvesting the fruit before it's really ripe. You know, as soon as it That's, as soon as it starts to blush red, you know, bring it in and set it on the counter, and let it finish ripening. You know, indoors because the the birds like the riper fruit. Hmm, that's interesting. Is it because of the color? You know, because we've done, you know, berry shows about berries, and you know, the white berries are the last to go. The pink are, you know, the next, and then the reds and oranges are the ones that you know the birds go for. Yeah. Well, and but, that could be. Um, yeah. So they like they like the red. Um, and to be honest, I have before planted yellow cherry tomatoes so that I could eat more of them because the kids in the neighborhood were waiting for them to turn red. Uh, But then they figured it out that I was picking and eating the yellow ones, and it was all over. But for for a while, it worked. So, so kids in the neighborhood can be a problem too. Yeah, and I was just sitting. I was sitting there thinking before you mentioned the kids because that would be a pest. I mean, (laughs) in so many words, and cats, dogs, you know, just your your domestic animals that go out and mess with your garden. So, any any tips on those? If if you have a lot of trouble with with animals digging in your garden, you know, laying out some kind of wire mesh screening on on the ground so they can't dig through it um, is is an option. It might take a lot of wire mesh, you know, little pieces that you kind of lay out like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can make a difference. And I've had trouble with a neighbor, you know, the neighborhood cats in my garden before. And that's one of the things that helps. Um, 
They just don't like to walk on that. Well, they, they don't. When they try to dig, oh, it, it okay, gets their claws. It. Okay, and it gets tangled up. On yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, and they don't like that. They don't that like makes that. Sense. Um, and another thing that people use if they have trouble with uh, moles and voles is there. I can't remember what it's called. It's this expanded um, rock. Little little gravelly looking things, but it's really lightweight, and um, they don't like to dig through it. I can't remember what it's called. So you till it in with your soil. Yeah. Oh. Do you remember okay. what it's called? Vermiculite. Well, no, but it's it's along those lines, but it's bigger and, and more. It's more more granity. Okay, so it's it's actually a real rock. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, and I don't know the name of it either. That makes sense because they yeah. don't like to. They, they don't want to encounter that stuff. You can't right. dig through it right. Right, right, right. Okay, so today is March 13th, I believe. Um, we're going to be airing this show in um, a couple of weeks. So in a couple of weeks, what should somebody be, what should our gardeners be doing? They should be checking the long-range forecast um, for weather to see what the what the thoughts are from the weather people about when that last frost is going to happen because like we said last week the UGA climatologist um, is concerned that this could be a year in which we have a late freeze and and late is could be could be very late um, there are automated weather stations that are run by the University of Georgia at different locations around the state and the ones nearest Cobb County there's one um, in Dallas Georgia there's one in Alpharetta, and there's one in Dunwoody. And so you can check those stations, and and you can look at the when the last frost dates have come. And, you know, when you, that goes back, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, and one of them has a last frost date listed from, I can't remember what year it was, 05 or 01, of, of April 24th. Yeah. And, and so that if you had planted out your tender vegetable crops like tomatoes and peppers and eggplants and um, you would have to have gone out and dug those babies up and brought them back in the house um, to a keep cover, them safe. A cover wouldn't well, help. It, it depends. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it does depend. Um, on how, how cold it is. And so you could have protected them or you could have just brought them back inside to, to give them a few more days and try and do over. So we could theoretically be talking about, you know, May 1st before we get our veggies in the ground. Well, right? I hope not. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, really. And so, and so it would be useful to kind of keep revisiting the long-range weather forecast to see what it looks like. Some vegetables are a little, a little more hardy and can take a light frost. Uh, the beans can take a light frost. The, um, you know, some of the, the squash and cucumbers can take a, a little bit of a frost. Um, but... But not much, and covering them up would be a good idea. Heaven knows, you know that we're talking about frost here. We're not talking about an ice storm or a snowstorm. Yeah, well, yeah, well, well, we have to hope that's I mean, not that going to happen. Be, that, that would be a disaster. So, can you? I mean, let's talk about like hardening up and putting stuff maybe in a garage that's not heated, and then taking it out. Do you do that kind of practice? I, I do take plants in and out of the house, and so because I have seedlings that I start myself, so okay. my my tomatoes are ones that I started from seeds, and my peppers are started from seeds. You know, I, I don't typically go buy plants unless an emergency happens, and I right right you know because emergencies happen. Um, 
And so, yeah, those need to be hardened off. And by hardening off, we mean moving them outside for a little while at a time and kind of dappled sunlight, dappled shade, and getting them used to being outside in the wind, in the stronger light of the sun, because it's not as strong indoors, you know, even through the window or with your fluorescent light. So you're light. talking about outside, outside, not in your garage. Yeah. That they're actually getting the sunshine on them. Yeah. They, they, they need to get used to the sunlight. They need to get used to the wind. And so a couple hours, you know, one day and then a couple hours the next day, you know. How do you manage that working? I mean, what do you do? Put them out in the morning and then take them in when you go home from work? Or how do you do that? Are you do it on the – how – explain this. So if they have been out, like if you start on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, moving them out into kind of light, you know, a little bit of shade. A, a place that's not f- quite full sun um, for a, a couple hours on Saturday and for four or five hours on Sunday. Then if the weather is going to be nice, you can put them out um, for for while you're gone to, to work. But um, if it's not going to be nice, you have to you have to start over later. <laughs> so then you take them back in and mm-hmm. then you repeat this process for a longer period of time before you put them in. Yeah. So people before, when we're dealing with this late frost date, you know, in April, if their seedlings are up, they, is it too early to do this process? I mean, how much before you actually take them out do you harden your seedlings up? Oh, uh- well, that's a good question um, because sometimes I have them outside on and off just because the sunlight is so much better than the fluorescent lights in my house. But that's those are seeds. Those are things that I'm growing myself indoors. If you have bought a transplant at a garden mm-hmm. center and it's been outside anyway, you don't have to harden it off because they've already done that for you. Okay. I mean, we're going to take a quick break and talk, finish talking about this because it's something I really don't. Uh, know a lot about. We'll be right back with the Master Gardener Hour. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770 770- 696-9862. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, your host of the Master Gardener Hour, and I'm back with Amy Whitney, and we are talking about Hardening vegetables, seedlings off. 
prior to taking them out and put them in putting them in the ground so i just told amy during the break i really don't know a lot about this so she's kind of explaining it and we're going to learn more about it yeah so if you have bought a transplant at a garden center and it's been out outside and not not inside if it's been outside in a in an, in an outdoor area, then it's probably good to go, and you don't have to worry about it. They've hardened it off. They've had it out in the weather, and it's it's all ready for the wind. It's ready for the sun. It should be it should be all good. Um, but if you're growing seedlings yourself, then they need to be a, a, become accustomed to the outdoors because you've been growing them indoors, babying them along. There's no wind. The light is uh, less direct. Um, but I do try to take my seeds, my seedlings outside some. Um, when I get home from work, because it's um, later, if it's nice weather, if it's, you know, 70 degrees, not today. But, you know, a couple days ago, I could put them out for a couple hours and then bring them back in to to get them just a little better sunlight. Um, And it's good when you're growing seedlings yourself to make sure they get good sunlight so that they don't get too scrawny. Because if there's not good light, they'll get all tall and thin and reedy looking. Um, And you want them to be kind of stocky and sturdy. And having a good, strong light helps them be be that way. So you use grow lights for these, right? Yeah, I have fluorescent lights that I put over them. Okay, okay. And and they are a lot closer to the tops of the plants than people would expect. Because the fluorescent lights, they're not really hot. And so you can put them down within a couple inches of the tops of the plants. And as the plants grow, then you raise them up some. But you keep them really close to the plants to make sure that they have a good, strong light. Is there a difference between a grow light that we that I think of like buying a grow light bulb and a fluorescent? Or are they the same thing? They're similar. The wavelengths are slightly different, but um, for most people, it won't matter which one you have. Right, and a fluorescent tube is way less expensive than a fancy grow light. It, it sure. can be. It, it can be. It depends on where you're shopping. Okay. So look around. Okay. Don't don't buy the first forty dollar light bulb that you see because you can find one for ten. Okay. Good. That's a good tip. So I the um, what's your take on bringing house plant not house plants like outdoor plants like ferns begonias palms all the things that you have out in your yard in the summer and you keep them in your garage during the winter and cut back on water because you don't have a greenhouse and you'd love to have a greenhouse. Do you think... <laughs> yes, we, do, we would love to have a greenhouse. Yeah, do you think that those type plants, especially, like seriously, the begonias, ferns, all your really cool stuff that's not in the ground that are pot plants, but you put them out on your patio and your deck, do you think the hardening, uh, hardening off is... You need to do that for those plants that are big plants and they've been used to the winter and then they're be put out in the yard or is that necessary? That's a good question. I don't really know. Um, I'm just thinking about that because, you know, I have like one whole section of my garage with tables with all my ferns and begonias and stuff. And I was sitting here thinking a couple, you know, a couple of on any nice day, you know, if it's time to water, I will slough them out in the driveway, water them, let them sit out in the sun for, you know, you know, while I'm watering the others and yeah. then put them back in. I'm wondering if that's necessary for those type plants, but I don't know. I don't know either. Well, most of those ferns are going to be in the shade. 
So they're not going to want to be in the full sun anyway. Right, right, right. Well, neither the begonias either. Yeah. Yeah, so, but I just, I guess I was more thinking about the temperature and the wind and if they get but, soft over the winter. Well, well they do. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, but it, and it's just about time to start thinking about letting them grow. Yeah. That's, I've, I've kind of upped the water and. Yeah, because I have uh, some brown paper bags full of geraniums that I have to do something with soon. Yeah. Uh, uh, cut, yeah. cut and pop back up. Yeah. They've been blooming in the bags. All yeah, that's, yeah. Mine <laughs> in too. the garage. Mine yeah. too. Yeah. Mine too. Okay. So now we've kind of gotten, um, we've. We've wandered away from vegetables. We've warned <laughs> you about, you know, checking weather and just don't make the mistake of having, you know, getting it out on a gorgeous, you know, it always happens. The freezes always happen at the beginning of the week. It, they always have after a weekend when it's been really nice weather in Atlanta and everybody has spring fever. They go out and play baseball, wear shorts, wear flip-flops, and then the cold comes. And they've planted all their veggies and then, you know. And, and flats and flats of tender flowers. Yeah, it yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. So please, please be wise about that. And, you know, make your make your choices. Okay, so we're going to get this stuff in the garden, and it's we're going to pretend like it's like the middle of June. And let's talk about, um, I want to talk a little bit about fertilization for the spring-type, you know, crops. Mm-hmm. And then I want to talk about, you know, disease and creatures that, not the big creatures, but the little creatures that particularly are involved with what we're going to be planting now. So, tell me how you fertilize and what you do. Well, um, I'm an organic gardener. You don't do a lot. You yeah, do yeah. it with the soil. Yeah, I do it with the dirt. Yeah. Uh, because uh, organic gardens are, are based on the biological system that's underground. And so, the fertility that you get is is only, you know, what the what the organisms have released from from the organic matter that's down there. Um, And so it's a little different. If you are working with a conventional chemical system, then the best thing to do is follow the advice in one of those books, Um, um, like Walter Reeves and Felder Rushing's uh, books about vegetables or Don Hastings' book or... um, Another one that's good is um, Dick Raymond's Joy of Gardening book. Mm-hmm. He's not – it's not specific to Georgia, but he gardened in Florida. He gardened up the north. He's gardened lots of different places. And so his a, a advice usually comes with, you know, if you're in Florida, then do this. And you can kind of adjust that for, for right, Georgia. Right, right, So being an organic gardener, I mean – that's why I think Amy does such a beautiful job of describing the way you get your soil ready. I go into, like, look at chemicals in, in, you know, the big box stores, and I see all these organic vegetable fertilizers. What are they? And are they, would, is that the type of product you're talking about for somebody that wants to, bump up their, you know, their production, is that necessary? If you're new, Mm -hmm. it can be. 
Um, if your garden is is still kind of coming on and and if you're really pushing productivity out of it, then those amendments can be super helpful. They're um, so they're they're balanced in certain ways, and you have to read you know the box just like like regular fertilizers. They'll have different ratios of ingredients that provide the different nutrients. And so when we talk about fertilizers, we're mostly talking about things that provide nitrogen, mm-hmm. phosphorus, and potassium. And those right. are the things that are represented in those numbers if you buy a box of 10, 10, 10. And you can buy an organic formulation that approximates 10, 10, 10. It will be like cottonseed meal, bone meal, right. and kelp meal, you know, in, in, in ratios that, that come close to to providing what a 10-10-10 would provide, assuming you have a good underground community that can break that down and release it. Right, right. Um, and so if you're doing an intensive planting system, it could be that the composts that you use aren't going to be able to provide enough stuff for the organisms to break down to support all that top growth. And so, you, you know, amendments might be useful then. You know, if you're using like that square foot gardening plan where you cram stuff together. Um, And another system that's like that is the one that's out of Ecology Action in California. Well, I think it actually moved north. It was in California. Uh, John Jeevan's book, um, How to Grow More Vegetables, Fruits, Nuts, Blah, 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 Than You Thought Possible on Less Space Than You Could Imagine. Super long title. but it's another intensive system, and it's also organic. And and he doesn't really push, you know, a special fertilizers, cottonseed meal or anything like that. Um, just making sure that you keep that organic matter high right, in right. your soil. Right. Do you ever test your soil during the season? I have tested it a couple times um, in the last 20 years. Huh, not very many. Um but, you know, if there was a problem, I would test it again. But non-production or specific yes. disease? Uh, non-production. Non-production. Because the disease is going to be in the, is going to be separate. I, I'm going I'm I'm to see that. Right, yeah, right. right. That's going to be big and obvious, like a dead plant, a spotted plant. Right, right, right. Things falling off. But just general lethargic garden, non-production, that's when a soil test would be... Would be useful. Okay. Uh, and I would think, you know, maybe I had let the pH get out of whack or or maybe had built up something like phosphorus so that the nutrients were out of balance because um, phosphorus is easy to overdo if you're, especially if you're using very many manures mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Like, I, like I used to do. So our pH, well, like, for example, in Georgia, should be like 6 to 6.5? Yeah, you're looking for vegetables around 6. Around 6? Yeah. Okay. 6.5 is okay. You wouldn't want to go much below 6. Um, but but it's possible, you know, to, to go too far. Some of the manures will, will bring it up higher. Um, mushroom compost will bring it up higher. Um, and so... So, Above six five, yeah, and so yeah, like into seven range. Okay, and so if you're having trouble with productivity, checking the soil pH is a good thing because when the pH is out of whack, then the vegetable plants have more trouble taking up the nutrients that they need. So they might there might be plenty available, but they could be basically starving because the pH is wrong. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's okay. So that would be worth checking. You know, I mean, yeah, and yeah. we we always. 
a, soil, a soil test through UGA Soil Lab. You know, bring soil to your local extension office. Find out how much they're going to charge you for it. And fill out the paperwork and send your bag off to whatever soil lab is in your area. And uh, find out what your pH is if you've never done it. It's very important. You know, and I think the beauty of the um, soil samples, I was blown away with how much information they give you. I mean, they tell you what it is, what's in it, how to amend it. And, you know, and they really, it's more than just a pH level. Yes. Which is, you know, it really is kind of brilliant. I don't do it very often either. Maybe I should. But, okay, so fertilization, let's go with the soil and, you know, get it get it right from the beginning. I mean, that's really, really good advice. And especially when you're eating it. Yes. You know, especially, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's what you're putting in your mouth. And you know what I just heard on the radio today? The old five second rule about dropping food on the ground. Scientists have now come out that it's okay to pick up food off the ground because in five seconds it doesn't pick up any germs. Okay, with that, we're going to take a quick break and be back with Amy and the Master Gardener Hour. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options, such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle, medically-managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with the Master Gardener Hour and Amy Whitney, uh, horticultural assistant from the Cobb Master Gardener um, 
the Cop Extension Office, excuse me, not Master she is a Master Gardener, a longtime Master Gardener as well, is here with us, and we're talking about vegetables. And we're, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things. I want to talk about actually putting the plants in the ground. You know, different type vegetables have different techniques for getting them in the ground at the right level, at the right spacing. So let's kind of talk about that. And I real, and we're going to talk about once again the infamous tomato. So let's start with the tomato and how we get these guys in the ground. Well, um, we'll start with like putting them in the ground. Period. So if you have beautiful soil that drains well. You can dig a deep hole and um, and put that tomato in almost up to its little neck, almost up to the leaves, um, and 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 push the soil against it and call it planted. Um, and you wouldn't normally plant a transplant that deep because we're talking about really burying that root ball. But one of the things that tomatoes have going for them is that they create adventitious roots. So all along the stem, they can make new roots, which most plants can't do. Um, and so the more you, you know, the more soil contact that stem has, the bigger, you know, the bigger the surface area it has to make more roots, and more roots make a healthier plant. You know, the top growth can really push if it has a good root system. And so one of the things that happens here in Georgia, because we have this clay that doesn't drain very well, in order to get a better root system, some people actually plant their tomato plants sideways. They dig a trench and lay the plant in it, and, and they have the little tufty leaves sticking out one side, you know, like a ramp. Um, but they cover up that stem, you know, they, they plant that sideways um, so that they can still get a good root system, just a more shallow one. Because if you're working really with an in-ground garden in the Georgia clay, um, you don't want to plant that too deep because you might suffocate the roots that it already has. Yeah, and you want those roots to spread out. Yes. You know, not... In, in a shallow situation. Yeah, in a shallow situation. That's right. You want them to spread out. So so that's a good reason for people working with clay soils to think about planting their tomatoes sideways. And they'll still, you know, they'll turn up. You know, the, they have a geotropism thing where they react to gravity. And so the stem, you know, will, it will turn and, and grow up. So you don't have to worry that the whole plant is sideways. Okay. That's very interesting. And it kind of looks cool and people would go, what'd you do there? <laughs> yeah. So, any other tricks of the trade for actually getting any other veggies in the ground? Well, for most other vegetables, you want to just, um, you know, that if you've bought transplants, um, you just want to make sure that they're not too deep. Whereas the tomato can go very deep, um, most most of those need to be, you make sure that, that the surface of the soil of the little transplant is just barely covered up by the soil from your garden. The new, yeah, yeah the and, new the, and that you, you press everything in good to make sure that there's really contact between the roots of the plant in the, in the little ball of the root ball and your soil, your garden soil. And um, when you water that in the very first time, you know, you, you want to make sure, again, to Im- improve the contact of the roots that, with your garden dirt so they'll spread out in there. If they're right up against air, you know, they won't, they won't go anyplace. They'll just stay. Um, and so watering them in will help that. And usually they recommend that you use a starter fertilizer to do that with. And that would just be a week. You can buy things that say starter fertilizer on them, you know, at garden stores. Um, And if you're working in an organic system, some of the fish emulsions 
have the same basic um, chemical balance as a starter fertilizer. It's a fish emulsion liquid or is it? It's liquid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. it, it's stinky. Yeah. Um, and But most of those will have, um, the starter fertilizers will have a slightly more phosphorus than the nitrogen and potassium. So the, the, the center number, in the, instead of being 10, 10, 10, it will be 5, 10, 5, something like that. Um, and so that, that middle number will be a little higher. It might not be that dramatic. But um, that phosphorus does encourage root growth. You know, and so that's that's what that's for, and that's what those starter starter fertilizers are for, is to get the roots of your plant going well in the new garden soil, and then you go back to so whatever you you're... you you absolutely re- at that point you recommend doing a starter and or the fish emulsion. Yeah, and using fish emulsion for your starter if you're an organic gardener. Okay, how much fish emulsion do you use? Oh, not much. I have I have a you, you buy a little. Container. I don't. I think it might hold a. I don't think it holds a quart of fish emulsion. What it's, is fish emulsion? It's ground up fish. I, I, you remember that Saturday Night Live episode with the blender and the fish? Yeah. yeah I, think that's fish I think that might be it. I don't know exactly. I'm afraid to, yeah, to really know. I'm like kind of afraid to know too. Yeah. But, I, I, so I, you you dilute it. Oh yeah. If you yeah, use yeah, like yeah. a tablespoon in a gallon of water. Right, I mean it's right, it's right. not much at all. Um yeah. So so that this little container I've had this one container for years. Wow. Yeah. And so you get that just a little bit on Yeah, on, on on a new plant that go in the ground. Okay. I and the and if you're and if you're working with a standard chemical system, I'm sure that the 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 ones that just say starter fertilizer that are not organic, I'm sure they're less expensive. I mean, I've seen I've, you you see it says bloom starter, but it's probably the same ratio of probably okay yeah slightly slightly higher middle number, a little lower on the first number. Okay, so when you're doing when you you get everything in the ground, what about Plants that need support, trellising, all that kind of thing. How, when do you start attaching these fine tendrils to the supports? And I mean, or do you already have those in place? Or how do you, how do, what's your take on on that whole? It, as soon as it looks like the plants are growing, supports need to be put in. Better sooner, better than later. Sooner is better than later because if you, you don't wait, want to bend and break and, and and you don't want to poke something through the root system. And damage oh, the roots. that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because okay. you, you can damage the roots, especially if you're using, um, you know, just a post or a pole that you want to jam into the ground near the plant to tie it to. Yeah, you're going to go right down and break. Break what, roots. Yeah. Exactly. What you just worked so hard to grow with your starter fertilizer. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So you want to get that in, the, in, in soon. Well, can you do that at the same time you're planting? You can. Maybe not necessary, but... And, yeah. the, and then you're ready. If you've got the time and you're done and you get it all set up. Yeah, and then you're then you're ready to go. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you grow so many things. Any really cool gimmicks or homemades or what do you use for your different type vegetables for support? Um, that's a good question. I don't have any really wonderful homemade things. Um, you use what you have. So... Um, I just recently invested in some amazing tomato cages that were not at all cheap, but I love them. Um, and they were the Texas tomato cages, but those aren't for everybody. 
Because <laughs> they cost they cost a fortune. Um, they were like my my birthday present last year. Oh, that's cool. I know. I so know. what is? Tell me what is the Texas Tomato Cage? Well, they come in in two parts and they stack, but they also so so that the bottom piece is like three feet high, and then the top piece when you add it makes it six feet high. But they fold flat for so storage. Oh, no, that's nice. Oh, yeah. And because, you know, how many of those round, Yeah, how many of those things round things can, can you get? Yeah. And they're everywhere, and, and, yeah, it's such a mess. But these Texas tomato cages are just. Are, so, they, are they, so they're obviously square. No. They're round. They're round and they fold flat. Yeah. It's okay, amazing. so they fold in half? So, well, they, um, no, they, um, they, they like accordion. Oh, Okay. So it's, okay. it's a it's a it's a okay. it's a funny thing that happens. So. Okay. Do you attach? I've had people ask me this. Mm-hmm. Do you attach your vine to the cage with tape, or I'm not, you know, like any type of product, any kind of anything, or do you just let it grow through the cage? Well, uh, that's a good question. So it kind of depends on on what's going on with the plant. Sometimes a a piece of the plant just wants to be on the ground, and the only way to make it stay off the ground is to tie it on. Right, right. And and so that would be that would be Necessary. for like for like a tomato. I, I like to that needs to stay off the ground because yeah, let let yuck. yeah, it's asking for trouble. Right. Um, to let a piece of so it lie on the ground. So do you use that like green flat tape, or what do you use to uh, attach? I, I don't buy tape. Um, so if you, if, you, if you have uh, old old socks and you, oh, and, you, socks. and you and you cut the cut a, cut a little ring off the, the ankle part, you know, and cut a or a strip of old t-shirt or a strip of just uh, pantyhose, yeah, anything soft, soft, something something knit and soft is usually good. Okay, and okay. then you don't have to go buy anything because almost all of us have an old t-shirt we can cut up or some old socks that no one wants. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But just a small. Yeah. Yeah, a little strip. Just a little strip of fabric. Yeah, a little strip of fabric. I mean, you could use, you know, something. when you did, hey, you know, you, you could do this all for the rest of your life and do old sheets and cut them in strips. Like people used to use for bandages or whatever. You could or, use or, anything. Or, or they curled their hair. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. okay, so yeah. just use that, but it has to be soft and not. Too tight. You just want to. Yeah, it needs to just be able to hold it up there. Because the vine's going to grow. I mean, it's not only going to grow longer; they'll over time. Yeah. You know, increase their size, so you don't want to, um, you know, choke yeah. it off. Okay. Yeah, and so and so for tomatoes, I want to keep all that off the ground, and that's 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 important. For other kinds of plants, if they just have become heavy, then then you know I wait until it looks like they can't hold their load anymore. Okay. You know, because sometimes the peppers, you know, one branch for some reason will have a dozen huge peppers. So do you on use it. like a tomato cage for like a pepper? Or a, you use some of them. I do. Um, some of them are grow taller, like the ancho poblano peppers mm-hmm. actually get to be about four feet tall, and so they really they really need some help. Um, and then some just are super productive and 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 need some help. And so it will take getting getting to know your peppers. Okay. Because they're all they all grow a little differently. Do you have any permanent trellises for your beans or anything like that? I, I do have one, and it's those metal fence posts with, um, you know, a, a wire. La- large wire screening strung, you know, between. Okay, so you just guide your beans up and. 
Well, some things you don't have to guide. They do it on their own. Well, they have the, what's the tendrils? The tendrils. Yeah. The tendrils. Yeah, like cucumbers. Right, right, They right. do it on their own. But some things do need to be, be tied for support. Okay. So you've got everything in the ground. you got your trellises. you got your supports up. What do you put on the top of your soil for mulch? Because um, we all know we have to mulch, right? It's a good idea, um, depending. So, like, if you have squash and you live in an area that has squash bugs, you want to keep the squash kind of unmulched because squash bugs hide in the mulch. Okay. 